First John 1 verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And Father, we just humbly ask as we continue now to worship, as we've been able to sing and pray and fellowship, that Lord, as an act of worship now, we would genuinely give you our attention that what your spirit has inspired here in the word of God, that your spirit would help us to hear what it is you're trying to say to us this morning. Lord, we ask that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but each one experience the demonstration of your spirit and power speaking to our hearts. Lord, speak to us through what you have here spoken in your word. Bless our time. And we ask together expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, let me begin this morning with encouraging you to ask a question that I think is valuable for all to ask ourselves from time to time. And that is this today, are you in a healthy relationship with God? Not are you in relationship with God, but are you in a healthy relationship with God? We all know from human relationships, you can have a relationship with someone by way of status, but yet that relationship may not be in a healthy status. You can have an unhealthy relationship with a person. Well, the same is true spiritually as God is a relational God. I mean, it is amazing to think truly that Almighty God even offers, isn't it quite amazing, that Almighty God offers to each and every one of us as human beings an opportunity not to just be religious in routines and do some rituals and check boxes of religious lifestyle, but that he actually offers us personal, intimate relationship experience with him directly, where we can have an encounter with him and enjoy relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He makes that available. It is possible to have ongoing experience with God. The question to ask ourselves, however, is this is first of all, are you currently in relationship with God? And then beyond that question, the other question arises, is that relationship in a healthy condition? And that seems to be what John is addressing in this section as we continue onward here. Remember the backdrop as John opened the writing of this letter, he was describing his own personal firsthand experience with God in the flesh through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And those first few verses, as he began, he was just recounting his own powerful experience, having walked together with the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here as God in the flesh on the earth and how he embraced Jesus' physical body, how he saw with his very own eyes the things that Jesus did, the reality of his life as a man, how he heard the very voice of Jesus teaching things and saying things as God speaking among them as a man. And then it seems as we go on now into verse five, that John tells us some of what they heard directly from Jesus. He said, we've heard what Jesus was saying in the prior verses. And now it's as if he says, let me tell you some of what we heard from him. And he goes on to say here in verse five, notice this is the message which we have heard from him and therefore want to declare to you. So John says, these things I'm about to share 
These are things Jesus communicated to us, things that we heard from him as God living among us, things that we gleaned from time spent with him. Again, Jesus was the image of the invisible God living as a man, and he declared and revealed what God was like openly in the clearest sense possible. And John says here to us in the fifth verse, this is the message we heard from him and we want to declare to you. And what is that going on? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So notice John opens with a declaration about God's nature. He tells us very clearly here in verse five, some characteristics about God's person what God is truly like and what God is not like, giving us description about God. And he says here emphatically, God is light. He doesn't say God is like light. He doesn't say light is God. He says God is light. And then he goes on to say, notice, and he says in him, that is in God, is no darkness at all. That is no darkness whatsoever in any way. Now, when we see in the word of God, this contrast between light and darkness, and we see it in many different places, it is basically just a metaphorical way to illustrate the difference between what is morally good and what is morally bad, or what is spiritually corrupt versus what is spiritually good and pure, purity versus impurity, holiness versus what's defiled, what is clean versus what is beautiful. It's a contrast between what's filthy and dark and what is corrupted and what is clean and beautiful and pure and representative of light. What is perfect and wholesome, which is light, in contrast to what is flawed and broken. And it's with this metaphorical speech that John declares here, and apparently, again, he heard this from Jesus. He said, one thing we heard from Jesus is that God is light. That is, his very nature is light. The very essence of his being is powerful and glorious light. Now, we know that's certainly true because when we read the description of uh, the throne of God in the book of Revelation, it tells us that in the eternal dimension that there's no need for this brilliant thing we have now today called the sun on this physical planet. There's no need for sun or moon or any light because the Lamb of God, God the Father and the Lamb, they are the light. That they themselves are such glorious, brilliant, beautiful light. And the idea here is speaking of God's beauty, of his purity, of his absolute uh, wholesomeness, his holiness, the perfection of total goodness. That's what John's describing here. That God is perfectly righteous, he's completely just, and he upholds utterly fair and completely just standards. He is a God of absolute Light And think of what light does is it enables us to see things truly as they are. Light allows us to see clearly, to understand things fully. It reveals, it gives us correct perspectives. And these are all things that God does as a part of his nature. And so John here wants to make this declaration. God's very essence, his being is perfectly wholesome and pure he is the epitome of truth and holiness. And then he says, going on in verse five, and therefore in God, he says, there is, notice, no darkness at all. That is, there is no trace of anything dark, defiled, corrupt, perverse in any way within God's person. That word darkness there just speaks again of what is morally corrupt what is impure, defiled, or unhealthy. And John declares on the inspiration of the Spirit here, there is nothing at all anywhere in God's person, within God's nature or character that is dark or evil or questionable or corrupt or perverse or defiled. And see, important that we recognize this doctrinal reality because Often as human beings, we want to compare everything to our experience with other human beings. And see, unlike human beings, of which we all are part of, which are all flawed and all broken and tainted by a sinful nature we're born with, and therefore every human being, let's just be candid, has a dark side. Right? That's why some of you love Star Wars so much. Come over to the dark side, Luke. 
Because every human being has a dark side. And we've all come to, 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 to terms with the reality that we, we kind of have a dark side. And there's a part of us that is tainted and broken and, and corrupt and defiled within us. But in God's person, the Bible's saying he is perfectly pure. There is no such thing in God's existence. There, God is wholesome, completely pure. And in God, there is no dark side. There are no dark ways. There are no imperfections, no flaws in God's nature. There's nothing shady about God. There's nothing questionable about God. There's never something God's going to do where he's going to have a bad day because his dark side got the better of him. He's never going to do something unhealthy or inappropriate or harmful. God is unable to do anything like that. The Bible actually says it's impossible for God to lie. He doesn't have the capacity to be able to do such, to do anything of evil, to harm or to be unrighteous. Nothing exists that's crooked within him. He is constantly good. He is always wholesome. He is completely pure and perfect and righteous at all times and cannot and will not ever change in that status. John says here, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, let me just say that is a wonderful thing to rest assured in, to be able to know that is God's nature and to trust the credibility of God's goodness, his purity, that he is wholesome and loving and benevolent and perfect and clean in all of his ways and to have that credibility of the, the wonderful goodness of God and that he is light and holy and pure in such a way. Yet that also, notice, keeps us accountable to know how we are having true relationship with God or not. Because having declared that reality about God, that he is light and he does not engage in anything dark or sinful because it doesn't exist within his being, John says, verse six, so if we say, make a claim to ourselves or to other people, if we say, he says, we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John draws a accurate conclusion to prove a reality about relational experience with God here. Using this unchangeable fact spiritually that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And he does not participate in anything dark. That is his person. He challenges the profession of a person who's saying as they're walking in darkness themselves, that they are having ongoing fellowship and close relationship with God because that totally contradicts the reality. Their spiritual profession doesn't match their spiritual practice. And John says here, if we say, that is make a claim again to ourselves or to other people that we're having, and he uses that word there again that we talked about last time, fellowship with God. That's our Greek word koinonia there, which means much more than just social interaction. It's a term in the Greek that speaks of close partnership, doing things together in a unified effort. It's a term that speaks of two people participating in the same thing, cooperating together, partaking of the exact same activities that are going on and doing things cooperatively in a unified way. And so John says here, if we claim, not just that we know God, but if we claim we are walking in fellowship in a unified way with God and that we're doing things together with God and we're doing things in partnership with God and we're in right relationship with God and participating in life with God, yet we're walking in darkness where God doesn't dwell where God doesn't participate in. We're, we're traveling in a dark path, walking in darkness. And of course, walking of darkness speaks of both taking ongoing steps to remain on a pathway that's dark and corrupt. The idea is living in sin, a lifestyle of living in darkness, walking in a sinful way. And it also implies walking in darkness, not just living in a sinful way, but keeping our sinful behavior in the dark. And seeking to keep it covered or not exposed, hiding it, doing sinful and dark things, but keeping those things in the dark 
and hiding them from others, what we're doing, so it's not exposed or we're not challenged about the wrongdoing, John says to us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the reality is if that's going on, we lie. We're lying. And he says, such a person is not practicing the truth. That is, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to others because we're not living in accordance with very clear truth, with just clear reality. Such a person is blinded, the Bible says. They've become deceived and light and darkness, right, even in a natural sense, they can't coexist. Light and darkness are are, are antithetical to one another. They can't coexist at the same time. And so he says here, in the same way, spiritually, light and darkness are opposing forces. They never work together in harmony. So God being who he is, a God who is light and in whom there's no darkness at all, would not be walking with us if we are walking in the dark, right? He says God wouldn't be over there. God's over here in the light. So if we're walking over there in the dark and God is light, and he lives in light, and there's no darkness in his being or his activities in any way, to say that we're walking in fellowship with God is completely to lie to ourselves. It's to be self-deceived, and it's to be dishonest and to be deceptive towards others. We have erred and misguided spiritually, and technically such a person has walked away from God experientially. Now let me come back to something I said earlier at the beginning. It may be that such a person could still be in a relationship with God by way of status, but that relationship is not in a healthy condition, right? In the same way that you can be in relationship with someone in a status of relationship, but not be having fellowship with them. If there's someone that you have a relationship with, maybe a relative, but they live in another state, you're in relationship with them, but you're not having fellowship with them this morning. Right, Because they're there and you're here. You're not partaking and participating in the same things. You're not doing life together cooperatively in a unified way. So you can be in relationship and not be in fellowship. And so John says here, a person perhaps even could be, maybe they are in relationship or they entered into relationship with God, but they're not in fellowship with God right now. They are completely off track. They have erred and wandered in a wrong direction. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? And that's a reality spiritually. God's walking in the light and living in the light. If a person's walking in darkness, they're walking away from God. They're not walking in fellowship with God. They're walking the opposite way. They're over in the dark. And the reality is they are no longer walking with God. John 12 says this, Jesus declared, Whoever walks in the dark does not know where he is going. That is, they've lost their way. And worse, folks, is perhaps a person has so lied to themselves and is not practicing the truth, perhaps, worst of all, that person's never even entered into relationship with God, and they're completely deceived thinking they have a relationship with God. And that's never even actually happened in their life. They believed a lie of the devil, failing to see the truth, and that's why they can live in habitual darkness and continue to live in a contradictory way. Jesus said this in John 3. This is the judgment or verdict. Jesus said this, that light has come into the world. How? Through Jesus, right? He was the light of the world. Light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus said, this is the problem with humanity. Light has come. God makes his light available. He makes himself available. But he says, the problem is, is that with some men, some women, they love darkness. And so therefore, they don't come to the light, they stay away from the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed because God loves people enough. He is, First John's going to say later on, also a God of love. God is love and God is light. But because God is love, God will shine his light in love upon our lives when we're in the dark to help us. And he says, sadly, some will stay away. They, they, they don't come near the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. So they'll continue in this darkness. And look, as God's ambassadors of truth, folks, it is crucial that we love people enough 
to share this spiritual reality with people. Even as John shares this as a a 90-year-old man, he says, look, this is just reality. He says, if this is going on, he says, and a person's walking in darkness, they're not in fellowship with God. What they are doing is they're lying and they're not practicing the truth. They may be professing something, but he says they're not practicing the truth. So what does it look like to practice the truth? What does it look like to have true and healthy relationship with God? Well, the Holy Spirit goes on to tell us through John in verse 7. But, contrast, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, there's our word again, fellowship, koinonia, partnership, sharing of life with one another, us and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So since God is light, if we walk in a pathway of light, that is how we experience healthy and ongoing relationship and fellowship with God. To walk in the light, of course, speaks of living in a path of following God's truth, doing what is good, doing what is right or righteous, taking steps to live out a godly life by obeying God's word and living according to the light of God's standard. A person who's walking in the light in their ongoing lifestyle, they're living consistent with the will of God. They're trying to observe and to obey the word of God, do what God desires. They want the direction of their life to be illuminated by God and to do what pleases God, and that is their heart desire, to live in alignment with the God of light according to the kingdom of light, endeavoring to live pure and holy, turning away from dark, things and he says when that is going on that is a person who was walking together in fellowship with god now on a practical note one of the best ways to intentionally seek to walk in the light if god is light is very simply to consciously choose to follow the lord jesus christ and to let him rule over your life, to let him guide your life, to let him lead your life. Jesus said this of himself in John 12. He said, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus said, I don't want anybody to stay in darkness. If you just believe upon me and follow me, I'll lead you out of the darkness and I'll I'll bring you into the light. Jesus declared as well, John chapter 8, remember he said, I am the light of the world. And he said, whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus, representing himself as the God who is light among them, said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, if you let me lead your life and let me guide you and direct you and you walk in relationship with me and let me lead the relationship, he says, you won't walk in darkness anymore because I'll continually give you the light of life to show you how to live God's way for your best and to live in relationship with God. Now, another way we can walk in the light is not only to follow Jesus, but also just to live in accordance with the very word of God. The way God illuminates for us in written form how to live according to his will. On Wednesday nights right now, we're going through Psalm 119, this lengthy, lengthy psalm right in the center of our Bible is all about the value and benefits of the word of God. And just this last week, we came to the spot where the scripture declares there that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So I can walk in in the light and in fellowship and relationship with God by walking with Jesus and letting him lead my life. And I also can do such by seeking to let my life be directed according to the word of God, because it is God's light to illuminate our path, to show us where to walk and where not to walk, how to walk and how not to walk. It reveals that to us. And when we are doing those things, that's what it means to have fellowship, close experience with God where we're living a shared experience. Because notice John says in verse seven, when we're doing those things, he says, that's when we do have fellowship with one another. I think in two senses, fellowship one another that is us and God in a foremost sense and fellowship one another as the body of Christ, as God's children. Because as we're seeking to walk in light together, that's the absolute best relationship builder. That as we bring things into the light and two people are walking in the light or as brothers and sisters, we're trying to all walk in the light together in a wonderful way. 
It has this valuable benefit to relationships and harmony in relationships when things are in the light. It's a great relationship builder. Now, to walk in the light does not mean that we won't periodically sin. It doesn't mean we won't still fail from time to time, that we're not going to stumble on our path. It just means that we're open when we do fail because we keep it in the light. It means that when we do make a mistake, that we keep things in the light and we don't hide what's going on. We're honest because we want to live in the light and we want the help of God's light. But what about if I fail? What if I falter at times when I struggle? Doesn't sin pollute us and defile us? Doesn't it make us dirty and filthy before God? How can I have ongoing close relationship with God if I'm filthy at times from the stain of my sin? Well, look, the good news is God's provided a wonderful solution so that we don't have to remain with that stain upon our life of some sinful action or some wrong behavior or some attitude that was you know, erroneous that God is displeased with or whatever it may be, the wonderful thing is God has provided a way to allow us to be in healthy and right relationship with him continually because as we walk in the light and we're not hiding things and we're being open and allowing the light of God to shine upon our life and to reveal error to us, to convince us when we are wrong, he then directs our attention to the proper solution for our periodic failures and our periodic sins and that is not to go try and hide it oh i gotta hide that i'm embarrassed i better go hide that because all that's going to do is encourage you to keep hiding the next thing and hiding the next thing but but god says here's my encouragement when you fail bring that to the light of the world go bring that into the light go right I, i i failed here it is You're the light of the world. Get me out of this darkness. I don't want to remain here and to bring it to him. For when we expose our sin unto the Savior Jesus and humbly let it be seen, what does John say in verse 7? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses, and it's in the continuous perfect sense, continually cleanses us from all sin. The pure and precious blood of Jesus shed in his sacrificial death when he died on the cross in our place as the substitute taking the punishment for our sin and guilt, that precious blood of Jesus is so effective it removes the filth that at times pollutes our soul. It it delivers us from the stain and the dark blemish when we've entered into some sinful behavior. We can trust in the purifying effectiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all unrighteousness again and again, and again, and again. And what a wonderful thing. Look, today, if you're sincerely trying to walk in the light, I'm not talking about your rebelliously, consciously, continually remaining walking in the dark. But today, if you are genuinely trying to walk in the light with the light of the world and walk in his light, and you have sinned and failed, but you have brought that mistake, that sin into the light of the Lord, that promise is yours right there. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the things that we did that weren't right. Why? Because God wants you to be able to put that in the rearview mirror and continue to have ongoing fellowship with him. Not live in condemnation and self-pity and run away from God because you blundered or failed like Peter or made a mistake where you denied the Lord. But that you would run back to the Lord and know his blood cleanses from all sin. And look, folks, let us remember that, too, as we fellowship with one another spiritually. Because that's how we have proper relationship with one another as the Lord's people. That if sin has happened, but it has truly been brought into the light and embraced and exposed and it has been brought into the light and the blood of Jesus has cleansed, then let us offer spiritual fellowship on that ground. That it has been cleansed, that it has been washed. It's totally two different things when someone wants to keep something in the dark, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, and deny it and resist it, and then when someone brings it into the light and lets the light of the Lord shine upon it and says, I own it, and I'm sorry, and I need forgiveness, and I... That's a whole different thing because then we should see people as God sees people. And then we should treat people as if they are cleansed under the blood of Christ rather than treating them like they have a stain upon their life or a scarlet letter 
for the whole rest of their life because of one infraction or a, a mistake they made in their life in some way that we would treat each other as cleansed people. Now, having just addressed how we have fellowship with God based upon living in the light, walking in righteousness, exposing ourselves to the Lord's light, not hiding things, that only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all of our sin, you know, that we're going to have periodic mistakes currently from time to time, even as we try and walk with the Lord. He then says in verse 8, if we then say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's another way a person can be deceived in the idea of verse 8 is refuting this foolish thought that somehow, that even as we are walking in the light and having fellowship and relationship with God through his son Jesus, that we could possibly somehow arrive to a state of sinless perfection while we are still on this earth stuck in a sinful, broken human body. Look, though we may be growing spiritually, and I hope as we walk more in the light and in the spirit, we are sinning less, we're never going to be sinless while still in these broken, sinful bodies, while still in this weak, sinful flesh. We're going to have greater victory, but if a person ever begins to arrogantly claim that somehow they no longer sin, they're one of those mature Christians now. And they never fail or they never struggle with temptation or, or they never do what's wrong. They never give in to their sin nature. They don't periodically make mistakes, somehow implying they've reached some righteous, holy condition of sinlessness in their life, of deeper righteousness. The Bible says, let me help you. You've deceived yourself. We're deceiving ourselves and, and, and really in spiritual arrogance and self-righteousness to think somehow we could arrive to a place of perfect sinlessness. He says, such a person, the problem, notice he says, verse 8, is the truth is not in us if that's going on. And the reason the truth is not in us, is he says, if a person claims that they somehow become now sinless, is they're not being guided by the truth of God's word. Because God's word teaches as a whole that we have a redeemed spirit but that we still live in a fallen, sinful body that is groaning, and Romans 8 says, awaiting the redemption, the final part of our redemption, the redemption of our, of our bodies. Our sinful bodies that our redeemed spirit is stuck in. Look, therein lies the struggle of this fallen, sinful body while on earth. That's what Romans chapter 7 is all about, and Paul wrote that decades after being a Christian. And Paul, decades after being a Christian, said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, my sin carnal nature, he says, nothing good dwells. Paul says, what dwells in there? He says in that chapter, sin dwells with me. And he says, the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep doing sometimes. And the things that I do want to do, sometimes those are the things that I don't do in my weakness. And Paul, at the end of it, says, oh, wretched man that I am. What's he expressing? His frustration with his sinful nature in his earthly body that his redeemed spirit that loved Jesus was still trapped within. And Paul said, this is that struggle, that wrestling that we go through. Our sinful nature is corrupt and we're battling against this heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked by nature and the, the work of the Holy Spirit within us as our spirit is redeemed. And it's only as we walk in the spirit we have power to overcome our sinful nature, but it is a constant struggle, right? It is for me. Maybe it's not for you. It's a constant struggle, wrestling back and forth because every human being is born broken and flawed. And so we struggle under that propensity, even as a Christian, to be magnetically drawn back to the dark and the old and the sinful ways. And it's a battle. We have to keep walking in the light and walking in the spirit. Yet the wonderful thing is God has made a way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to be cleansed, to be washed, to have close relationship. That's what the promise of verse 9 is about. Look with me. He says, verse 9, if we confess our sins, don't say you've become sinless, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the cooperative thing here where both parties 
in fellowship with one another, us and God, both parties are contributing something. What is our part as human beings in relationship with God? He says, verse 9, our part is to confess, to confess our sins when it happens. The word confess is a Greek term that just means to agree with or to say the same thing again. And here's how that works. I do something selfish. And God's spirit that dwells within me, who's trying to keep me in the light, shines his light on that. And God's spirit says to me, that was selfish. That was wrong, Tony. You shouldn't have thought that. You shouldn't have spoke that way. And then I say the same thing back again by saying, God, you're right. That was wrong. God, I was selfish. God, I was proud. God, I shouldn't have spoken like that. God, I shouldn't have acted like that. And to confess is to acknowledge the same thing back again. It's to agree with. In a sense, it becomes this reality of where we might say to take ownership of our error. It's where we just humbly acknowledge the same viewpoint God has about our sin. That when we've erred, when we've fallen short, when we've missed the mark, that we don't dispute with God. We don't disagree with what his spirit is saying to us internally regarding what he says about our sin, but we humbly and respectfully and submissively agree with God's spirit testifying to our human spirit. And we agree with what God's word testifies is true, that if God says it's sinful, we say the same thing. And in honest agreement, we own it, we confess it, we recognize we have failed as God shines his light on it. We just keep it right in the light and we don't argue or dispute. It means I don't justify and rationalize with excuses. Well, this is why I did that. There's one reason why I did that. Because I'm sinful. There is never a justification for me to look at God. And I'm not saying that things we go through may not make us a little more prone or inclined. or I'm not diminishing that. But when I'm standing for a righteous, holy God who is light, who I am accountable to, who was willing to put to death his son to offer me the opportunity to be right with him and have forgiveness, for me to render to God any excuse for anything I have done wrong is absolute insanity. And so God says, I'm just asking one thing. That's all I want on your part. You're, you're the offender. But God says, I just ask one thing. Would you just own it? Would you just, just confess it, God says? All I'm looking for, he says, is, is that humble, broken spirit. Right? Because the Bible says, David says, Psalm 51, regarding his own sin, that, that a broken and contrite spirit, God doesn't despise that. That's all he's looking for. That we'd have truth in the inward parts. That we wouldn't be deceitful in our you know, own spirit, but that we take responsibility and openly acknowledge what we did, fully admit it, accept it's wrong, period, with no excuses for it. That's all God desires, but listen, that also is what God desires. That is essential. It is an essential part that we must confess our sin. We must take ownership of it, humble ourselves and say, God, I believe I'm guilty no excuses. I agree with you on this matter. Please, please, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me. And look at God's part. When we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sure sounds like God does a whole lot more, doesn't it? <laughs> all we do is own it and acknowledge it. But when we confess our sin, believing we're sinful and we need God's mercy, and that what Jesus has done is the only thing that can cleanse us of our guilt within. Notice he says, God is therefore able and always will be faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll take notice. What this is saying is that God, because of what Jesus has done in his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection and his ascension, because of what Jesus has done, God now has a just basis to always faithfully forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's not like God can just say, all right, I'll overlook that one. I'll give you a pass there. That's not what's going on. God has a just basis because of what Jesus did 
to faithfully forgive us all times continuously when we acknowledge our sin to us, despite, listen, despite how we may feel about ourselves in misery when we sin against God or sin against others, despite how others may think about us or feel about us or now relate to us, despite what consequences may come because of our sinful behaviors. God can always faithfully with a just way do what is right to show us mercy and grace. Is that not wonderful? He says he can always faithfully forgive us, that is to pardon you, to remove punishment from me, to take away the punishment or judgment of our guilt. God doesn't have to hold anger. He doesn't hold displeasure towards you now. He doesn't hold resentment or condemnation. He lovingly accepts and graciously relates to you if you confess it and you receive his forgiveness through what Jesus has done for you. And he doesn't just forgive and pardon us. Notice he also cleanses us, it says, cleanses us from all sin. That is the blood of Jesus washes us clean from all the guilt from all the filthy stains that we incur in our soul for the wrong things that we know that we've done, he's able to remove that inward dirt. He doesn't just temporarily kind of hide it over here in a closet where nobody sees it. God gets rid of it. God takes it away. Your sin is removed by the blood of Jesus. It's completely cleansed. God eradicates it supernaturally, making you pure and clean again. What a wonderful thing God offers in his forgiveness to us and his cleansing to us if we just humbly confess and take ownership before him. Psalm 32, David expressed this experience. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. The idea whose lives are in complete honesty now. When I kept silent, he says, that is when I refused to admit my sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. That is, I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, I said, and you forgave the guilt of all my sin. And the guilt was gone. The guilt was removed. He says, verse 10, and if we say, notice, stubbornly that we've not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So here's another error of a false spiritual claim that can happen is not only to say that we've become sinless, but just to flat out deny that we've been sinning. And he says here, sometimes this happens as people live in ways where they don't want to confess their sins and they violated the true standards of what's morally right and what's morally wrong that are written in God's word, his record of measuring that, yet they're doing what God says is wrong. They're doing what is sinful. They've done what is sinful, but yet they claim they have not sinned. Oh, that's not sin, what I've done. I just, that's, that's not sin. I mean, yeah, I, may, I may have done that, but there's nothing wrong with that. God knows my heart. And, and, and they begin to make these rationalizations and they begin to say that what God's word said is sin isn't sin. It's just, it's an alternate lifestyle. And I know God's word says this, but this is just the way that I am. We're, 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 we're all basically good people. I mean, we're not really sinful people. It's not sin that we're doing. We just express ourselves differently. And look what he says here. He says, when a person begins to contradict God's will and God's word and live in a way that is clearly sinful, they actually, he says here, verse 10, they're calling God a liar. I don't want to get in that tango. God, I'm right you're morally wrong. I know that you're the creator of all human beings and you're keeping my heart beating and my lungs breathing, but you know what? You're a liar, God. You're a liar. I wasn't sinning when I did that. That's not sin what I've done or sin what I'm doing. You're wrong. You're a liar. I'm right. And I'm allowed to keep doing this. 
And he says here, when such a person does this, they show that his word has no place in their heart. That they're not submitted to the word of God. And sadly, they're robbing themselves of a relationship with God, right? Because what does the Bible teach? That sin separates. Isaiah 59, God says, your sins have separated you from the Lord. Sin breaks relationships. Sin causes separation. So here's the scenario of these realities. And I think verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 go directly with this because John indicates his heart towards this very reality of our broken, sinful condition as humans. He says, my little children, these things I write to you. I'm writing this because my heart is that you would not sin. So John is this 90-year-old elderly man. He says, I'm saying these things because I don't want you to continue to live in sin. I want to see you resist sin and walk away from sin and let God help you overcome sin. He says, I don't want you to keep sinning. But then notice his next breath because he knows humanity. He's lived for 90 years. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he reminds here of the beautiful solution in a summarized way of what God has done in his kindness for guilty sinners like you and I on this planet. He says here in our verses, if anyone does sin, that is, they feel the weight of, yes, I I am a sinner, or yes, I have sinned, then they need to know God's solution. And what's God's solution? He says God's solution right there. He tells us that God's solution, verse 1, is Jesus Christ the righteous. Why is that God's solution? Because the Son of God left the throne of God in heaven and came to this earth, took a second nature upon himself, a human nature, remaining fully God and becoming fully man at the same time, that he might be a mediator between God and man. And then Jesus, as the son of man, lived the sinless, perfect, righteous life that none of us are ever going to live. And he satisfied the righteous requirement of God's holy law and standard for entrance into heaven to present his sinless life as a human unto God for acceptance for humanity to be accepted into heaven by meeting the standard for us on our behalf. And then after offering his sinless life as the acceptable thing to God, he then stepped into our place and then took all the punishment we deserve as guilty sinners, as he died in our place and made the satisfactory sacrifice. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, Jesus himself is the propitiation, big doctrinal word, for our sins, and not just for ours, the sins of the whole world. Jesus' righteous life, his substitutionary death, and what he has done for us, shed that pure, precious blood, which has completely satisfied the righteous, just wrath of holy God against the sin of all of humanity that's been committed. That word propitiation is a term that speaks of making a satisfactory payment to appease someone's wrath because of debt or because of offense. And Jesus' sacrificial death was so sufficient, it fully satisfied God's wrath to judge all of sin for all human history. For all of human history, John says here, not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world, the guilt of all of mankind from Adam's first breath until the final breath of human beings. I don't know about you. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of guilt. And so, pardon the word, efficacious, so effective was the the death and bloodshed of Jesus Christ. He says, it has fully satisfied the wrath of God that is just against the sin of mankind. Look, if Jesus' sacrifice took care of the sin of the whole world cumulatively, let me say to you this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, why would you ever question if that thing is not forgiven in your life? It took care of the sin cumulatively of the whole world. I assure you that thing is covered. The blood of Jesus covered that. The only thing that's not covered in John chapter 3 says that if someone doesn't believe upon Jesus or receive Jesus, then the wrath of God abides or remains upon them because they're not taking God's option for the satisfaction of the guilt of their own sin. And because Jesus is alive... 
constantly he assures our forgiveness. Look at the glorious promise to the believer. Verse 1, if anyone sins, any believer sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So are we going to periodically sin and struggle? Certainly we are, even though we're trying to walk with Jesus. And when we sin, what happens? The accuser of the brethren, Satan, begins to accuse our soul and heaps on the condemnation and make us feel miserable. However, we need to know and remember the Bible says that we have an advocate in heaven. The risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, a righteous mediator between God and man is there. And that word advocate speaks of what in that day what was at times labeling what was what we would call like a defense attorney. Someone who you would call into the courtroom to help skillfully defend you when you had been accused of crimes and were a guilty person. And so in heaven's court around the judgment throne of God, the risen life of Jesus is there And Jesus, because of what he has done, his life constantly testifies through his accomplishment and through his words of the fact that we don't have to be punished for our sin. Kind of works like this. You and I fail. We make a mistake. And Satan, the prosecuting attorney, says, see that? I told you. Look what he did. Said he's a Christian. You saw what he did this week. How Christian is that? And Jesus steps forward as our defense attorney to the throne. And he says, "Um, I would like to speak on behalf of my client. I hear that they're incredibly guilty. That I will agree with. And you're thinking, some defense attorney are you? In fact, I saw a few things you didn't because I'm not. They actually did this. They're really guilty. In fact, I think they should endure incredible punishment. That's what they deserve, incredible punishment. But then he says, Can I bring exhibit A, these wounds? I took the punishment for that. So though they're guilty and deserve punishment, I took the punishment for that so they can be pardoned from the punishment. What an incredible thing to know that that is available and Jesus is doing such. Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 says he is always there making intercession for us at the throne of God. He is for us and not condemning us, but making intercession for us. What a wonderful way God has made for us that healthy relationship with him. The question this morning becomes this. Are you living in healthy relationship with him according to what this says? Not how you think or feel or what anyone else says. What a wonderful thing is it not to know the experience of living in healthy relationship with God? to know it's well with your soul, to be at peace inside of yourself. What a beautiful thing. Let's stand together.